Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Dark Phoenix, Days of Future Past, Wolverine, and pretty much everything that goes along with the X-Men on movies, TV, and in the comics all can be traced back to Chris Claremont. And tonight, we're going to be speaking with Patrick Meany, who has made a film called Chris Claremont's X-Men. Marvel TV Weekly starts now! You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. That's right, it's our uh, default national anthem here on Marvel TV <laughs> Weekly. It is indeed uh, the uh, 90s X-Men theme, which as it was ramping up, uh, Amy's like, oh, wait, that does sound kind of familiar because we were talking. Amy didn't think that she watched the X-Men animated series, but... Uh, How do I know? This is crazy. Because it was probably... Do you have uh, Do you have siblings? No. Oh, all right. Well, then you must have watched <laughs> it at some point. Anyway, uh, I'm Christian Blatt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChristianDMZ. And as I was saying, next to me, for those watching on YouTube, Amy. Hi, everyone. I missed you guys last week. I'm so excited to be back. I am Amy Cassandra Martinez, and you can find me on all social media at Amy Cassandra MTZ. And on the other side of the desk, the one, the only, the only one of us who has an X in their Twitter handle, <laughs> Michael X Shirley. Yes, <laughs> welcome. Uh, and uh, again, this is a this is an amazing shirt that I think I is know. actually from the nineties, nineteen ninety three. Now I wow. have I have the cover to Giant Size X Men, but this shirt is not from nineteen seventy five. It's from like three years ago. Yeah, so, uh, it looks but that shirt nice is, and is new. legit. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's got it's a lot of things soft. on there. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, we, we can have a meet and greet afterwards. People can okay. just touch the shoulders. Uh, and, again, our special guest, Patrick Meany. Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, coming out to the studio tonight to yep. uh, talk about X-Men and more with us. No, thanks for uh, having me. And uh, people can find you at Patrick Meany, and I should spell that it's M-E-A-N-E-Y. Yep. And PatrickMeany.com. And the uh, documentary in question, Chris Claremont's X-Men, Video On Demand, Amazon, iTunes, all those good places. Yep. And we'll also, a little later in the show, talk about the horror movie that you directed, House of Demons, also available on demand, Amazon, iTunes, all that good stuff, right? Yep, all, all right, transactionals. Good. I'm glad that everything can be found so easily, mm. you know? And, <laughs> uh, you know, just like... Comic books can be found so easily now. You nice. know, a lot of the stories, a lot of these great stories that Chris Claremont told, um, I didn't read them for a long time because they were really expensive. But now I could read them all on my phone if I wanted to. You know, I could sign up for Marvel Unlimited or some other service. Um, but I kind of wonder. Let's trace it back to sort of the beginning for you. When did you first find the X Men? What, what's your first memory of those characters? Uh, it, it was the cartoon show. Okay. Um, I think like a lot of people who are you know roughly my age, like that was uh, it was a little more sophisticated than other cartoons, if not as you know. Uh, super sophisticated. Yeah. I think it, I think it's a pretty strong like adaptation of what Chris was doing on the series. 
Yeah, and and as of now, that adaptation of the Dark Phoenix Saga is the only good one we've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Because X-Men 3 The Last Stand, even though it has a great cameo by Chris Claremont in mm, the movie, yeah. it is an awful film and... Uh, uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm saying that. I found it to be uh, wanting, let's mm. just say. Uh, so, And I think that a lot of the story, you know, they did Days of Future Past. They did a lot of the great stories from, uh, you know, Chris's run on the Uncanny X-Men, uh, well, and X-Men in general, on that show. And they did them so closely that, uh, unless I'm mistaken, Chris actually gets a story by credit in the Dark Phoenix Saga on mm-hmm. the, you know, which is kind of unheard of because it's usually like, well, we're just going to steal, a, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, none of the Batman animated series is, uh, you know, to Bill Finger or Bob Kane. You know, they mm-hmm. don't get any story by credits or created by or anything. So uh, it's it's a testament, really, to just sort of how great those stories are. So did, were you at all familiar with them or just that was a show? You're like, oh, I like this show just like I like other shows, the uh, X-Men animated series? Yeah, it was... Uh, um, you know, I just watched the show, and I didn't read a lot of comics at the time. Sure. I had read, like, a couple of comics of, like, even X-Men stuff, and it was very, like, I had no idea what was going on, because it yeah. was, you know, in the middle of the 90s, and it was very convoluted and sort of... Um, so by so by the time that you even looked at it, uh, Chris Claremont had moved on. Yeah, the, yeah, Chris was already gone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I, like, everyone else had, like, a copy of X-Men number one, but at the <laughs> yeah. time, it was, you know, it's a little hard to... It's not a great number one from the perspective of a new reader. Yeah, it's, it, it's not very accessible. And, I mean, it's a number one, but there were, like, 278 issues of Uncanny at that point, mm-hmm. not to mention various, you know, miniseries and spinoffs and things. Um, I, uh, I I told I, – I was lucky enough to interview uh, Chris Claremont for my personal podcast a few years ago, and I told him that the first issue that I read – uh, was Uncanny X-Men number 176. And basically, in that episode, in that issue, uh, Cyclops and Madeline Pryor, who <laughs> we find out a lot of you laughing, a clone of Jean Grey is something that's eventually decided, uh, and they fight a squid, and that's the whole issue. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, that... I really don't know what's going on, but I, I want to know more. I want to be like, let me into the club. Like, yeah. I want to know why I don't know what's going on. And uh, he, he thought it was kind of a, you know, he actually kind of laughed that that was the, you know, that was just the one that I chose. Mm-hmm. But you start to hear about all these things. You hear about Dark Phoenix. You hear about uh, Days of Future Past. And as I alluded to a few minutes ago, when we were talking before the show. Those you just couldn't get them until they put out trade paperbacks because mm-hmm. it's everything you know had you know just a huge, tremendously inflated value. All those stories, and also, I mean, if you lived in a small town like I did, you had the issues that were on the newsstand, and you know, if you missed it, that was it. Mm-hmm. So you you weren't getting to go back and find them. Um, so, at what point did you realize then that Chris Claremont was actually the the pretty much the single person responsible for so much of the great stories that were told for the X-Men from 1975 mm-hmm. through 1991. Well, I, I think it's probably unusual because I kind of, I started with, they, at the time they were putting out these essential X-Men books, sure, which yeah. were very cheap, like kind of phone book style collections. Were they black and white on they the were black Yeah, and I white, remember yeah. those, yeah. Um, so they were like 25 issues for like $15. Um, and I had looked up online. I was like, where's the best place to start with the X-Men? Because I liked all the characters. I liked the concept. I thought it was really cool. I was intrigued by all this stuff. And I so I started at the beginning and then read 
all the essentials that were in print and then kind of hunted down the issues or, you know, trades or whatever that were available. And I made my way through the whole Claremont run and read it as sort of one unit. Sure. Which I think is unusual because um, I think most people either were reading it at the time or kind of pick, yeah. cherry pick like uh, pieces. So I think that really gave me an appreciation of like, wow, like this guy created all this, like everything X-Men. It's hard because you can't really say he created X-Men, but he created X-Men for all like what X-Men is. Yeah, and I mean people. the interesting thing is the, the t-shirt that I'm wearing is for Giant Size X-Men number yep. one, which introduced the new team. He actually didn't write that, mm. uh, but you talked to... Uh, is it Len Wein or Len, Len, uh, Len Wein? I think yeah, it's Len, Len Wein is the one who wrote it, but he was actually too busy to write the monthly book. So Chris starts writing with Uncanny. Uh, it wasn't actually called Uncanny X Men at that point. Uh, X Men number ninety four. He starts writing it. So he's basically from that point onward, and so he develops these characters into mm-hmm. who we know. But yeah, he didn't create any of like these main characters. Yeah. But he's so responsible for who they are uh, because as he talks about in your film that, you know, it, 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 they could do whatever they wanted mm-hmm. because uh, X-Men came out every other month and prior to the new team, it was just reprints of old issues, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was definitely sort of a forgotten book, uh, which is crazy to think about when you think of the people that worked on, you know, even after Stanley and Jack Kirby, just all these great characters and all that. Mm. It's just, but it, it just, I don't know, it just didn't capture uh, people's uh, attention. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, there are, of course, other people responsible, which would be the artists involved. Uh, initially, you have Dave Cockerham, who has yeah. what I think is like a great comic book style. You know, it's like the it's it's Kirby esque, more you know, sort of like like uh, Jack Kirby or even John Romita Senior from Spider Man, and uh, it's you know really the design and the look and the feel for you know uh, right up through Phoenix, really. Yeah, and then John Byrne, I think is that's sort of when everything was firing on all cylinders. It was Chris Claremont, John Byrne, you know, and he would get some writing credit as well. Uh, And that's probably the sweet spot, I would say, you know, right? That that run, basically from Uncanny X-Men 100 through, like, 150. There's plenty of great stories that come after that, but so many, there's just so much in there. And it's like... Do you have time to read fifty comics? Read those, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But you might not. So yeah. uh, that's why I tell people, like, well, you should read the Dark Phoenix Saga because, to me, that if you look at it in the context of nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, when it came out, that to me is just the greatest story that was ever told in comic books, mm. not the Bible. That's a different, <laughs> it's a different story, Michael. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, in any case, uh, that's just sort of some of my thoughts on that. But I wanted to kind of talk uh, first to Michael and then to Amy, just sort of your own uh, association with the X Men when you first found them, and some of who your favorite characters were on the show and in the comics. Michael, you first. Oh, um, you know, I kind of got I, I got started with comic books uh, through collecting comic book cards. My dad was a big that, yeah. my dad was a big baseball card collector, so when he would go and get a box comic or ba- baseball cards, he would get me a box of comic book cards, and then I would like complete them and then go to the the comic book shop and try to trade for the ones I didn't have, yeah. you know, and do stuff like that. And I just got really into the mythology of the characters, and then came the action figures, and then came the comic books. That's, after yeah. That. 
Yeah, so uh, who were your favorites from the different stages? So, like, who looked cool on a card and who was great as an action figure? Um, Quicksilver's, like, one of my favorites, for sure. And I think they've done a great job with him in the X-Men movies. Not as great a job in, I would in not agree Age of Ultron, with you, but, but you d- you don't like no, Quicksilver. No, those scenes no. the scenes with Quicksilver stand out in I'm Days of Future Past, which is my favorite X Men movie, and mm. I would say uh, Apocalypse, not my favorite X Men movie, but that scene really stands out. So you don't like the way he's been done there? No, okay. no, 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 no. Fair I enough. don't like the Elizabeth Olsen thing either. I, I don't know if anyone does because <laughs> I like Scarlet Witch a lot too. But uh, Dazzler, Jean, yeah. like Rachel Gray. Um, sure. I love that whole family. Yeah. Like, the, I've, just that whole, like, Summers family and the whole Maximoff family, which trickles, you know, down to Emma and then her uh, thousand and one yeah. daughters. Uh, <laughs> Esme. Uh, right, which we talked about. The gifted. Yeah, yeah, which we talked about. And, and yeah, that's another way where a lot of these storylines and characters that yeah. Chris Claremont created. I mean, we didn't even really touch on New Mutants, which we will, and you did in the in the film, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, that's exi- that's where Legion came from. And yeah. the concept for Legion is from a, 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 a sort of a groundbreaking run of New Mutants that uh, was completely lost on me as a 10-year-old. I was like, this doesn't look like anything. Like, this, is, this is our concept. What is, what is this crazy uh, art style? Mm. But uh, yeah, so th- those uh, I'd say Gifted and Legion are not the stories that they 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 would not be able to be the stories they are if not for uh, Chris Claremont. One of my fate you were asked talking about action figures. I don't know if did you ever have any action? Yeah, I had a few. Yeah, uh, one of my favorites was the Corsair action figure. I love Corsair. It is yeah. a really good action figure. It looks just like him, and, and it's not like a repainted version right. of like another <laughs> figure. It's yeah. a really good one. Yeah, I know. I had a lot of uh, Marvel superhero Secret Wars action figures, and they were usually the same body with just a different head. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. almost all of them are the same body. Uh, so, Amy, but uh, back to you. So, who are some of you? Now, you found the X-Men. You don't remember watching the animated series, but that, that song sounded familiar to you. Yeah, um, that's cool. But you remember you remember them from the movie. So who are some of your favorite characters there? I liked Jean Grey. Um, I liked from the movie, you liked her in the movie? I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> sorry, so, sorry. I, I like Famke Johnson, but I don't know. Yeah, I, okay, so I didn't really get involved in Marvel until, like, Iron Man. So all of this before, I was like, oh, this is cool. I hadn't really known anything about them. And so it was all new, so it was all pretty cool to me. Um, Rogue was pretty fun as well. Yeah. Um, And then, of course, like Magneto. Hmm. I think he's really cool. He's a good Magneto. The idea behind Magneto is so cool, Um, which is why I really love the documentary, because I really got to learn a lot, um, way more than I did watching X-Men. Right, and, and um, just, yeah. you yeah. see like all of these things, like, hey, that's a title of a movie. Yeah. That's a title of a movie. I know that yeah. person. Oh, Legion, yes. that's a TV show. Yeah, so you yes. see all these things. It's yeah. connecting everything. So, um, yeah, I I did not see uh, X-Men, Days of Future Past, wow. Apocalypse, Dark Phoenix, because... After the last stand, I was like, ah. look. After the last stand, see, and then yeah. you have to keep in mind too that the last stand 
was followed by X-Men Origins Wolverine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I don't know if I ever want to see an X-Men movie again. <laughs> you know? And I, of course I did. But I <laughs> thought for a minute, I was just like, what are they doing? You know, yeah. it's like they have these great characters and especially in the shape of uh, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. They mm-hmm. had perfect cast mm-hmm. and then they went and made garbage movies. And that was infuriating. Perfect cast. Well, and, I mean, I mean so, uh, I'm saying Hugh Jackman is perfect. You try to say that he's not. Or he's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it should have been, how you feel. No, it would have been better if Doug Ray Scott had been available to be him as he was supposed to. I wasn't a fan of Halle Berry as Storm. Really? I mean, Halle Berry's terrible as do, Storm. Do you notice that, like, her accent, like, just kind of, like, oh, yeah. she Does. doesn't have one anymore. Did you like uh, Storm in Apocalypse? All right. Because that's Mohawk like, Storm. D- I didn't like want the viewers to know. Like literally, Wait, I haven't. We had this it. conversation like two weeks ago. You've had so much time to I, watch it. I, I didn't have, think I was out. I of have it. Apocalypse like on DVD, and I've just mm. been too scared to watch it because I don't want to hate it. And you'll hate things. I was about told it. that I you'll would. I would not it. like yeah. it. And mm. Tony told me that it wasn't so bad that no, I should it's be not scared. The worst one. But I no, still I just haven't. Yeah, you should still definitely watch it. I mean, it is literally brand new. Haven't seen it. I mean, it has, it has like, arguably, I feel like, the best cast of any movie of all time. It's, like, insanely stacked cast, and yeah, it's such a it's, not it, great film, so... You're talking about... Uh, oh, Apocalypse. Apocalypse. I mean, it has yeah. Fassbender, no, McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate, uh, <laughs> Oscar Isaac, etc. Yeah. Like, you, it's you crazy. Have, it's, 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 yeah, you're right. It's probably the, the best cast superhero movie, and it's not great. Is Ellen Page in it? No, no. she's not. No, you don't like her. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I wish somebody played Kitty in that movie, because... Uh, you can't have another one. Well, I guess they did have two of everyone now. Yeah, well, yes. there, there were three Kitties, uh, and three Jubilees, and so, you know, in the course of the movies, they uh, didn't really say anything. Um, so, uh, I know what you were saying, though. I do like the look of her, her outfit. I've seen... The trailer for Apocalypse, and I do like the look of her outfit. Storm, Storm's outfit, yeah, yeah because yeah, that's yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's actually the the period that I was reading X Men when mm. Storm had lost her powers. Punk Rock and, Storm, yeah, and Punk Rock Storm. And, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I, it's, I, I it's think a that's very the, bold the move. best era. I think Paul Smith yeah. era of Claremont when Storm has the Mohawk is very like character focused. That's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, and they talk, and uh, I believe, well, I think he talks about it in in the movie that you know there's there's two issues, uh, life death and life death two, uh, one eighty six and one ninety eight of Uncanny, and the it's like it's it, they are not superhero stories at yeah. all. It's like you know, and it's interesting because it's like yeah, life death one, it really is like oh, I had a really nice uh, dinner with uh, Forge, yeah, and uh, we're just talking, and that's sort of what I why I like the Chris Claremont X Men so much is there were the great, you know, spacefaring, huge storylines, but I love the issues where they'd play baseball Mm. and or they'd go out into town and there'd be like a minor little fracas. But, you know, I just liked watching them interact together and just being friends and uh, it really humanized them. Well, I I think it's analogous to a lot of like the way people watch like Buffy or something on TV where you just, you love the cast and like even a bad episode of Buffy is more enjoyable than a great episode of a lot of shows because you're like, I I love these characters. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think that was his greatest strength is that it was really the characters were very grounded they're very realistic and they change a lot which yeah. is very unusual in comics because a lot of comics is almost like jazz it's like you'll play whatever like when the saints go marching in a hundred different ways and it's about like how you interpret it but with 
X-Men, it was an evolution, and Wolverine of 94 is not the same character as Wolverine of, you know, 200 or 250. Yeah, no, I mean, especially, and he's he's really not the character of Wolverine as introduced in Incredible Hulk, I think, 181, where yeah. they, and it's talked about in the film, they thought that the claws came out of his gloves, yeah. you know, and it was just sort of, Chris had this idea, well, what about it, you know, it literally cuts him every time that yeah. he has to Love use, that. and it's such a, it's such a fascinating idea idea and that's why these stories I always say it's so important to look at in the context of when they were written mm. as great as it can be to read the Dark Phoenix saga just poke around and see what else was happening in comic books in 1979 and 1980 and you'll be like oh there's nothing like this <laughs> yeah. you know I mean before too long all of a sudden things really started to you know be like hey let's try let's try and do more stuff like that well know? I think even on TV I mean TV at the time was all standalone episodes there yeah. was real no analogous mm-hmm. to like a story that was so sustained and I think it can be hard because you, it is hard to read it as one chunk to really appreciate that how much it is kind of one story which threads like it, you know one through three of the Jim Lee X-Men it is a, you know, it's not the perfect conclusion, but it is a conclusion to this, like, 180-long issue saga. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool. And if you do get a chance to read it all in a go, you can see, like, these kind of rising and falling movements within the, the overall thing. Yeah. When I was a kid reading comics, uh, they introduced a series called Classic X-Men, which mm-hmm. they eventually called X-Men Classic. <laughs> and they, uh, so I was able to go back and see all these comics that, because this is before like the giant collections. Yeah, they, yeah. they hadn't quite caught on to that yet. So I would get to read all these stories that I'd heard so much about. So getting to kind of see them, but then also simultaneously reading stories from like 87, 88, you're like, oh, look at how this ties back. Yeah. And you know, they were able to kind of stick in these these backup stories that were would actually tie some of those things a little bit more forward Mm. but Claremont wrote all of them and as you talk about in 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 the film he wrote uh, X-Men he started writing Wolverine he wrote New Mutants for a long time he wrote Excalibur a special a particular favorite of Michael and mine Uh, and he he just was writing well even even the stuff he didn't write like X-Factor and New Mutants later on it was Louise Simonson who was very tight with him and it was almost almost analogous to like a TV writer's room sort of thing where they worked very closely together yeah which is actually the thing that I would say the the thing that I never really thought about until I, I watched the film was the importance of the editors mm-hmm. in helping shape that narrative and you know Chris was writing these superhero comics that were very female centric and female driven didn't hurt that he had you know Louise Simonson prior to that she was Louise Jones and also Anna Senti just mm-hmm. the the fact that they were like this little team I loved watching the three of them talk yeah. How, that yeah. was very recent I assume that you got the three of them together to um, it wasn't that long ago yeah, yeah. so but it was interesting because I think Anne is very not a comics fan and she's somebody who has a lot of interests and if you read the issues that she edited they are a lot more experimental like the Sienkiewicz X-Men or uh, New Mutants the life death it's sort of a very like experimental era when she was working with them and then I think once she kind of went on to do like Daredevil and her other uh, books that she was writing you can see it sort of like pulling back towards the you know more conventional storytelling. Yeah, I think when you're when you're actually out in the forefront, you kind of need to tell those kind of stories. And you know, Lu- Louise also ends up you know creating. She writes the first appearance of Apocalypse and yep. X Factor. So you know, she was also you know it was basically like it was the team that was yeah. putting these these stories out, and you just really. 
you know, you really, you really felt that from uh, the the film, which I thought was great. What did you think about that, uh, Amy? Getting to see that, uh, you know, this this guy who wrote comics, which let's let's be honest, especially the time period we're talking about, very male dominated mm-hmm. uh, field to work in and also to read. But uh, the fact that he had these these women that were working so closely with him, what did you think when you uh, found out about that? Well, I thought that was really nice, and I, I like that you touched on it as well. Mm. Because, you know, obviously I hadn't, I didn't know much about it. So to know that they were all counting on each other and it was, it was a collaborative effort. So that was really nice. Um, And I liked their interactions on camera um, because of course, you know, we're getting everyone's different, you know, sides of how everything happened back then. But to see all of them together, it was just like they were back home, like hmm. chilling, hanging out, <laughs> talking about the. Marvel. It was very casual. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Right? On a couch. And I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you, and you think about the stories that they're just casually remembering, you yeah. know, and just yeah. the idea that the mutant massacre was like, oh hey, I want to do that too. And she that was married was to Walter Simonson, who yeah. was doing Thor at the time, which I remember like. What is Thor doing here? You know, but uh, that's and that was you know the first big crossover. Mm-hmm. And as great as that story was, and as well orchestrated as it was, it, it kind of was one of the. It wasn't really the beginning of the end, but it was definitely like, okay, so we can monetize this even more. So now, as you talk about in the film, it's like so now you're going to do that like every fall. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that I, as a comic reader, you know, I was in like middle school and into high school at this point. I liked the first few of those. I think like yeah. Inferno was really well done. A lot of those stories were well done. And then they started to get like, wow, they're really like branching out, like which comics are involved and crossing over. And you know, there was a cover from the Extinction Agenda. I'm like, I don't remember anything about that. I read it. I definitely read it, but I don't remember it. Yeah. And the other ones, I remember so many things well, about the. I think those ones, the the Mutant Massacre and Fall of the Mutants are not really, they are like uh, adjacent stories. They're not really crossing over. Like they kind of brush paths with each other. And Fall of the Mutants is just a theme, really. It's not actually a narrative crossover. So Inferno is the first one that is really like one story across... Uh, you know, nine issues. Yeah, um, and I think like Spider Man shows up in that. Like they, they were. Well, they they had a whole theme of yeah. like the New York. Essentially, it was like a Ghostbusters esque scenario <laughs> where like yeah, uh, things were coming to life and um, New York was haunted. So I think yeah. that one works from a narrative point of view. It's sort of the culmination of this whole you know Jean Grey saga and Maddie Pryor, etc. All kinds of yeah. things. So it kind of brings that to a satisfying close. And then I think you're correct. Like the the later ones feel a little more like, well, we got to do something. So yeah, and here's then this. it's like, oh, and mm-hmm. you can buy four variations of that cover, and yeah. they're you know, and they're bagged with a little collectible card, and yeah. that's that's right around the time where I kind of fell off. Uh, you know, was it was just like. It, I don't know, just don't be so shameless about uh, the marketing yeah. aspect of it. You know, tell good stories and then make them collectible and people will buy them for that reason. You know, and I know that we're t- we referenced the, the Jim Lee uh, X-Men number one. That did have multiple different covers, so that's that's how you sell 8 million copies. Yeah. But at the same time, those were still good stories. Yeah. Um, that had five covers. Yeah, because the one that I have is the one that it folds out and it's mm. all of them. And I then, have all five. Of course you do. <laughs> but they're great, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Well, we'll we'll sort of uh, touch a little bit more on on the Jim Lee era, but when I I wanted to kind of go back and talk about the importance of the characters themselves, mm. and something that I noticed when I I interviewed Chris for my podcast, The Blockcast, in 2014, and uh, I was told he had about half an hour, and he ended up talking to me for 90 minutes, and could have done more, yep. you know, you could tell, but I was just like, I don't want to take up all this time, <laughs> you know, and m- the thing that I liked the most was the way he talks about the characters. He doesn't ever say Wolverine. He doesn't say Cyclops. He talks about Logan and Scott. Mm. And I love that he calls Professor X Charlie. <laughs> 100% of the time, he calls him Charlie. Yeah. And I I just, I like the fact that he's that fond of the characters. And I guess if you write them for 17 years, uh, you definitely are going to get fond of them. But you you feel like people that wrote later X-Men stories, there's great X-Men stories that happen after he left. But I don't. You don't feel like there's that kind of connection, you well, know. Yeah, I think one of, one of the things that I wanted to do with the movie was sort of, uh, you know, in a little like pretentious terms, to like position the X Men as like an auteur text or an auteur project because I think it is. It's Claremont's themes, it's Claremont's characters, it's Claremont's story, and it all kind of goes back to him and sort of and Anne and Louise and the artists. But it's really him driving it, and I think everything that's after is sort of riffing on what he's done. If not specifically the characters, it's like literally the stories that he did or, you know, the themes that he did. And even in Stan Lee, I mean, people will cite like Magneto was Malcolm X, Professor X was Martin Luther King sort of thing. Like if you read the Stan Lee era, it's not really there. Like that's a theme that he really brought to it. And kind yeah, of, it's exactly. That's and that, that's really the fundamental difference because the Stan Lee Magneto, I mean, he might as well be Dr. Doom yeah. or Lex Luthor, or, you know, I mean, and it's, it's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's mm-hmm. just so multi-layered. And I really liked the moment where it was discussed in the film that, you know, the the idea that he was positioning Magneto to actually take over the X Men, mm. he specifically had him mapped out for issue three hundred. He would have had to hang on for just a couple more years, yeah. but uh, that's that's not the way it went. But that moment when Magneto realizes, you know, he, he so he he hurts Kitty and Uncanny X Men one fifty, and he crazy. and so it and it's not just a child; it's a Jewish child, yeah. and he is a survivor of the Holocaust, which. Is so hard to do now to have him be a survivor of the Holocaust when you think of how many years ago that was. Yeah. But it's such a it's such an important part of his character that I am glad that they've kept it in the movies. You know that, yeah. uh, and w- to the extent that we even see it in X Men First Class. Um, so, you know, it's he's such a complicated person. You can't actually call Magneto, a, a, even though he was the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not evil. You know, he just, he just has a different, uh, a different blueprint. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I think it is fun. If you read the whole thing, you see Chris write him as sort of that, you know, kind of Dr. Doomy type. He has like an evil volcano lair and <laughs> right. stuff, but he has sort of a humanity and then it takes a long time and some of it unfolds in new mutants, but you do see him, become that better person and he's kind of yeah i mean he's basically with the x-men in a good chunk of the run 
Yeah, I mean, he, through the the late eighties, and mm. and then there's the big trial of Magneto in X Men two hundred, and yeah, you know, it's sort of uh, built up to that with one of the worst costumes ever, the Magneto the weird costume, M. With the big M. Yeah, yeah. But uh, oh, you know who's in that story? Fenris. Anyway, um, Michael doesn't appreciate how excited I was that Fenris show up, uh, in, even though it's just in flashback on the Gifted, mm. and I was like, I was looking for things to be excited about <laughs> for that show. But that's a good way to sort of transition about how we've seen these things translate to the big screen. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, I don't think I was aware of this, talk about the memo that Chris <coughs> wrote that sort of helped the first X-Men mm-hmm. movie actually happen. Well, yeah, I think X-Men had been in development for many, many years, and it never, you know... Yeah, James Cameron was supposed to do one in, like, the late 80s. Well, rumored, yeah, but I'd heard about it for years. I mean, it made a lot of sense, but at the time, you know, late 90s, it was... Batman and Robin had just come out. It was kind of a, you know, a darker time for uh, superheroes on screen, and Chris wrote uh, sort of a memo to Fox, and he was like, this is what this is about. It's about, you know, kind of the, the conflict and prejudice and people dealing with feeling like outsiders and sort of feeling excluded and finding the truth in that and then that sort of became a catalyst or a hook on which they were able to you know identify what this movie was about and i think if you watch the first movie there is a lot i mean the the opening scene is like a the magneto in the holocaust flashback and there's you know it's not a perfect movie but i think it does capture a lot of what chris was doing and you can understand where you know the allegory of it comes through yeah i think the limitations for the first x men movie are, are just budgetary and that'll tell you so much about you know making a movie that came out in 2000 which mm. is like we're not going to spend that much money on a superhero movie you're yeah. crazy yeah. you know that would be like putting robert downey junr in a superhero movie <laughs> you know it just it was not the mentality what were you say amy well my question for all of you is when you hear that a movie is going to be made based off of a comic book. What are your thoughts? Are you ex- are you excited? Are you apprehensive? Are you like great? I mean, at this, this at this point, uh, I used to be like very very excited. At this point, there's so many. I'm kind of like, all right, another one. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I mean, at that time, you're just like, oh my god, there's going to be an X Men movie. Yeah. I don't, I've I've waited for this like my whole life. Yeah. I can't wait to see what they do with it. And, and then now, when you hear about some of the movies announced, you're like. Well, I mean, I guess because they've done everything else, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean like multiple man. I'm like, sure. Uh, all right, if there's a and, cool take, and I I'm biased in that, I'm excited about the Kitty Pride movie that's in development. Mm. Uh, <laughs> even though it's not going to be played by Ellen Page, I think Michael's still not on board. <laughs> um, I don't see it happening. Well, you know uh, what? Uh, what they should do is uh, take the uh, Kitty Pride and Wolverine six issue miniseries and just put that on the big screen. But mm. uh, I think uh, I think I'm the I'm, it's your I'm, favorite, well, <laughs> second favorite, second favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, but uh, I think that uh, that that yeah, it, it, it just it's a different world to think about in 2000 because they're were no good Marvel movies, mm-hmm. you know? So And there weren't that many good superhero movies. Like, no. the Richard yeah. Donner Superman, the first one, it was was pretty close. Although you watch it now, and you're just like, oh, that third act, yikes. You know but, I like that Captain America movie a lot. Oh, the 1990 Captain America? <laughs> I, I like the Red Skull I in that movie. It. Yeah, And I love the Roger Corman Fantastic Four, but not for the no. right reasons. Not for the right reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and there were, like, the Tim Burton Batman movies. You yeah. Know? And you were just like, well, why don't, why don't we get that? You know, and so then that first X Men movie, you're just like, all right, this this is this is cool. I mean, I think it was interesting because it it is a more serious movie, and it's kind of treated with you know not like a jokey tone, which now seems like obvious, but I think at the time was a surprise. Um, And I think it's hard to kind of remember then, like comics 
were very not respected or not really, you know, popular yeah. in the way they are now. Um, well, there's the great moment in the film where Anna Senti talks about calling Marvel to, you know, it's like, oh, we need writers. Great, what is it? And he's like, we don't want to tell you. And she's like, oh, it's porn. <laughs> yeah. But porn and comics, it was sort of the same thing. And, you know, both arrived in your mailbox in brown paper. As a, <laughs> a longtime comic book subscriber, it looked an awful lot like, you know, uh, Playboy coming. So, you know, it, it was kind of looked at as the same thing. It's just like, yeah. oh, God comic books you know so uh i think that the it was it was very it was a slow build i think that uh x2 was actually really well done because they were able to spend a little bit more money and i'm very biased because the beast was i liked it yeah Hmm. i i I was glad we were able to see the beast uh, and uh i that story at least the way that i remember it sort of like the gay iceman story was that what it was? That one, yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, it's God Loves, Man Kills, That's exactly basically. what I was... The next thing out of my mouth was that, to me, that story was Marvel Graphic Novel number five, which is God Loves, Man Kills, which if I have to isolate one single story that is not, you know, a multi-issue epic, I think that's the one that captures who the X-Men are and what it's mm. about. Uh, and it, that story is really just an allegory for any kind of maligned group, whether it, you know, be ethnic, sexual orientation, anything like that. I think that's what makes the X-Men so accessible because at some point everybody's felt like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't belong. You yeah. know? So, uh, and they, uh, they were doing a really good job, but then all of a sudden you get that uh, X3, which we've already, <laughs> I've already talked about once. But what we were talking about earlier is the X-Men animated series. And it's a time period where we also had the Spider-Man animated series. And I'll give a shout-out to DC. The Batman animated series and the Superman one were very different, unlike what we had seen before. Now, what I remember from when I was a kid were the Super Friends and Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And I loved yeah. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. But they were... I mean, they weren't just for kids. They were for, like, slow kids. You know, they were just really simplistic. And they're just telling these advanced stories and all of the four of the shows that I mentioned would do multi-episode, mm-hmm. you know, stories. And uh, I think that that X-Men show, that's really what makes those characters so important to so many people like yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was... I, I I think when the show premiered, I think it was 92, I was already in high school, but I was like, oh, I don't care. I, I love these characters. <laughs> Bring it back for this I, 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 I recorded that show on my VCR when I was in college. I'm like, look, I love the X-Men. Mm. I need to I need to see the Dark Phoenix saga on my, on my TV. Are you crazy? Yeah. And I think it was really well done. And uh, just the level of, of storytelling, it was just not something that you saw. You know, if you, I don't know what the rest of the, the Fox Saturday lineup was for kids. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that, you know? And I think it's just because of the job that, you know, Chris Claremont and, of course, everyone else did really fleshing out these characters. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're so well-defined on the page, it all you have to do is just not mess it up. You know, yep. to transfer them to the screen. And so many times that's what happens mm-hmm. with comic book movies and, and TV series. Well, so Logan was the first um, film that's obviously based off of a comic book that was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, for yeah, screenplay. For screenplay. For screenplay. Yeah, yeah. Right. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it was incredibly well written. Uh, I mean, and the, the story it's based on is, is great. Uh, it's It's, you know... 
uh, it's not from. Uh, it's a much more recent story. It's not yeah. a Chris Claremont story. But he gets asked about it, uh, and he's like, "Oh, the movie's very good, but I, you know, I didn't write it, so mm. you know, I just was watching it." You know, uh, the uh, the the Wolverine movie before that was very close to uh, the Wolverine miniseries that Chris wrote and some other stories. But um, I think that that was one of the best you know comic book movies that i i've seen i mean because i always like hugh jackman even in the bad one he's <laughs> he's still good in it and you know as bad as that movie is Liev schreiber is Sabretooth, i really thought it was great I mean, michael's like rolling his eyes mm-hmm. if you're listening on itunes but believe me <laughs> I, I i i rewatched it a few years ago it's mm-hmm. just, all that's just too much for me like the wolver like origins x-men wolverine Look, deadpool's and terrible the and yeah the what? wolverine no in in x-men origins wolverine deadpool is awful because they don't uh-huh. develop the character correctly, but it's also played by Ryan Reynolds. That's. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what are your thoughts though? Uh, I, back I'm, to Amy's question. I mean, I loved Logan. I think it was the best X Men movie to date. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think it was just a great movie. Like, I think it kind of. It, there is a thing I think where like I'll hear people talk about like you know Guardians of the Galaxy two or something, and I'm, they're like, oh, it's great. And I'm like, is it like uh, kind of you know Marvel movie great or is it like a truly great great movie? And I think Logan was one where it wasn't just fun, it wasn't just, like, exciting to piece these different things together. It hit very, like, emotionally, I think. I mean, I remember, like, the lights came up, like, they turned the lights on immediately after the credits, and you look around, and some people were like, like, dim the lights a little bit. It's yeah. A little, yeah, it's... A little dusty it's a little in dusty here. dusty in here, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I know, and that's it, 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 absolutely true. And, I mean, you know, look, it's a it's a movie where you see both Wolverine and Professor Xavier die, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it's um, like, that's... You know those uh, the those characters have been part of my life uh, since we before my wife saw was Professor born. Professor X die anyway. Well, you know we see a lot. We see people die all the time, but yeah. uh, you know the, just in the context of that story, uh, yeah. Uh, what did you think about Logan, Michael? Did you- I haven't seen it yet. What is wrong with you? Why would I watch? Spoiled. Why would I watch Logan if I haven't seen Apocalypse? They're unconnected. There's absolutely no reason to. Well, to yeah. You could have just gone right wow. to Logan. Logan's supposed to be the last one for him, so I want to watch it last. Your logic is definitely flawed. You you already have a DVD to to Apocalypse, so I I was going to say, I'll I'll bring my Logan DVD to you. No. You're like, no, I can buy it. No, I can buy it. I don't need to check. And I like X-23. There's no... It's just because I was going to watch Apocalypse first. Right, but you're so put off mm. by Apocalypse. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I swear to all of you out there, I'm going to go home tonight, and I'm going to watch Apocalypse. And, and I'm like going to watch all nine episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, we'll catch up on oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's, let's stop deflecting on like the real like, two problem. Kids. Oh, my God. You like, huh. Also, I've seen Logan three times, but anyway, mm. that's besides the point. Uh, yeah, but uh, I think that it's a perfect example, though. I'm glad you brought up Logan, even though it's not, you know, Old Man Logan's not a Chris Claremont like story. the third movie. There's X-Men Origins Wolverine, mm-hmm. the, the Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. I kind of, like, by the Wolverine, I was a little like, mm. You yeah, know. well, the first two acts of The Wolverine I thought were great, and then he like gets on his motorcycle and he rides into a different movie that, to me, is not as good of a movie. But anyway, um, so uh, that, that's a lot of sort of diving into the, the movie aspect of it. And, you know, obviously it's a lot harder to develop for television, but I did want to talk a little bit about Legion because yeah. uh, I watched that show with my wife, and she likes these movies, but uh, she doesn't really know the characters that well. And just that show 
is so it, well it's groundbreaking it's also infuriating because it just plays with your mind so much <laughs> but i think that that is a direct correlation to as we said earlier the stories that that chris wrote with bill sankevich that it was just like i mean just look at what what those comics look like and yeah. it was like i i don't understand how those were being printed on newsprint in 1985 yeah but they were um talk a little bit about how you think they were able to kind of take this character uh, of David and, and you know, build a whole show around him. Well, I mean, I think part of it's a sort of a testament to, like, Chris's versatility as a writer in that, you know, we associate him with, like, the cosmic epic of Dark Phoenix or the, you know, sort of political, allegorical kind of things of Days of Future Past, but he could also do a lot of, like, really kind of trippy out there stuff. And I think, like, the Demon Bear with Sienkiewicz or Legion are great examples of that. And um, it's cool. I think you could see how many different pieces of, you know, like people would call it like IP, but kind of like concepts in his run can be harvested out. I would never have thought like the guy from Fargo should make a TV show out of Legion. Right. But it was a great pairing. And I think it's very experimental in the same way that the comics are. Um, And it's just, I mean, it's a crazy show. Like even kind of knowing what was going on generally, I was like... What's yeah. going on? <laughs> and by the way, as, as I mentioned before on the show, uh, my wife watched the whole first season and didn't take away from the fact that Professor Xavier is his father. Mm. So it's like, you know, they, you know, there's like one shot where you see like the, 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 the X wheelchair, the wheelchair. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're not really thinking about it, it's, it's so I just, I like the way that they've told the story, which is like, yeah, we don't need to know that yet. Yeah. You know, I, I told my wife that and she was like, why'd you spoiler me? And I was like, ah. it was in there. <laughs> it was in there, but, it, but like, you know, she it's might very, not have picked up on it. Yeah. yeah. It's very uh, minimal. Yeah. And I think you, you gain something if you know that, but it's also, you don't really need it. It's just, yeah. He, he exists, is built on his own terms yeah. in the film. Uh, and, you know, I'm actually going to get a chance to interview Chris again. Uh, they wanted to do it around Legion Season 2. So oh, awesome. I was kind of excited to actually really get to talk to him about that. But, and it's funny that you mentioned Demon Bear because all indications were that's what the New Mutants movie at least was going Se- to seems be. Seems to be, yeah. Seems to be, but they've like in pulled the release back. Right? Yeah, so I was excited about that because it seems like, I mean, first of all, it's... It's not a story that I would make into a movie, but yeah. it's great that they wanted to tell a different style movie. Uh, you know, I think the you know the superhero uh, horror movie would be great. I mean, there are definitely plenty of instances. You know, there's very dark stories that you you know. I mean, I think I mentioned on this show recently. If you take the Spider-Man story, Craven's Last Hunt, like that's a very dark story, mm. but you don't want to put that in a Spider-Man story because Spider-Man, it's like oh, it's fun, it's light, and you know, but I. I think you can really do that when you're doing the first movie for something like New yeah Mutants. well i think new mutants definitely had more of kind of a, a darker tone and it was sort of that like you know puberty out of control metaphor of you know turning into a wolf or blowing stuff up as a nuclear sunspot or whatever uh his oh, powers were derived from yeah so it was very i think it's very appropriate and i think it's um I think the coolest thing about movies like Logan or, or even Deadpool is that, or Legion, it's they're coming at stuff from a different angle because they don't have to sort of represent the whole of the genre. They don't have to be. It's like there's so many superheroes now, you have to do something different to stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I want to touch on before we're almost out of time, which is crazy, uh, but uh, hopefully we get to uh, talk again sometime mm. soon, Patrick. Um, and, and we'll talk about your uh, horror movie in a moment. But one of the things that you touch on in there is 
in, in Chris Claremont's X-Men, your documentary, and, which is available, video on demand, uh, Amazon, iTunes, all, all the places you expect to find movies these days, yeah. uh, and is sort of the proliferation of the artist replacing mm. the writer. And you see that with Jim Lee and yeah. Chris Claremont. You saw that when Todd McFarlane took over on Spider-Man. You see yep. Rob Liefeld take over from Louis Simonson. And it just turned into like, well, what do you want to draw? Yep. We're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I always harp on that, that was like the thing that started to drive me crazy with that is why is Captain Britain's sister Asian now? Because why didn't you just create a new character? Why did you have to do that to, you know, and it drove me crazy. It's like, oh, probably Jim Lee just thought it'd be cool to draw her like that. I I always felt, which wasn't backed up by the subsequent stories, that Chris never intended for her to turn Asian. Yeah. She was just, because it's never mentioned in, like, the story. It's just, it's just, she's turning Japanese, I really think so. Oh my God, we should have had that play. Well, I didn't know we were going to go there. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, and and I think you're right. And I Mm. think that that's one of those things that he was just like, I think I need to do this It's subsequent stories where they have some kind of thing where she swapped bodies with some... Somebody yeah, or I, I honestly don't even remember. Um, I know the Mandarin was involved, which yeah. is kind of interesting. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that that was a unique time because now it's very writer-driven in comics, and it's it's most people can't draw a book a month, so artists are kind of you know secondary in the marketing. Yeah. But I think it was just a unique time when those guys hit with yeah. the audience in such a way. I think Claremont had been around so long that there was a you know, the management was like, we're going to go with these newer people. And it sucks for him. Yeah, these are the ones who are, you know, they're drawing covers for X-Men number one, X-Force number one, all this stuff. We're going to go with them. Um, Anyway, uh, fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed the documentary. It's a topic that is very near and dear Mm -hmm. to my heart. Uh, We're pretty much out of time, but I am going to, I do want to give you a moment. Talk a little bit about House of Demons, uh, how it came about that you directed this horror movie. Sure. So uh, it's a horror movie. It's a very kind of like trippy horror movie. It stars a lot of people you might be familiar with, like Amber Benson from Buffy, um, Tiffany Smith, who's host DC All Access, Whitney Moore, who hosts DC All Access, a lot of kind of your podcasting brethren. Um, It's basically about kind of four friends who go to a house that used to be home to a Manson family-like cult that did sort of black magic crossed with science experiments that blur space and time and turn the house into kind of like a manifestation of people's subconscious and all sort of, they have to essentially they have to deal, face their demons and either kind of overcome them or get destroyed by them Right, and uh, so and and I know that you've done some other, you know, uh, documentary style yeah. work, but this is your was this your first narrative, first uh, narrative feature, right. yeah. And uh, again, it is called House of Demons. And what I know from your Twitter at Patrick Meany that uh, apparently there's a signing with the cast in uh, in Burbank, yeah, uh, this Saturday uh, at uh, Dark Delicacies. Yeah. So yep, yeah, um, Talis and Jaffe, who you might know from Critical Role, which is very popular, Tiffany Smith, a bunch of the other actors. Um, so yeah, that's a great opportunity to come out, get it signed, and uh, talk some X Men as well. Right, exactly. So, uh, well, uh, Patrick, thank you so much for uh, sitting here with us. Um, obviously, we uh, could have done this uh, for a lot longer. Uh, and and look, uh, I'm just going to say to the rest of my panel, everybody's got a little bit of homework to do. <laughs> I can't believe you haven't seen Logan. I don't even know if I can talk to you next week. If you haven't watched it by next week, I, I don't know. There might be a problem. It's an X-Men show, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a Marvel, a Marvel show. show. Okay. It's fine. Yeah, I, I'm just giving him a hard time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> Shield, whatever. Shield. One of these things is really good. 
Logan. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh, thank you so much to Patrick Meany at Patrick Meany, and again, both Chris Claremont's X Men and House of Demons are available uh, Amazon, iTunes on demand. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ, and uh, I'm going to uh, pin a link to my conversation with Chris Claremont from 2014. If you want to find that, you'll find that on my Twitter. Amy, where can people find you? On all social media at Amy Cassandra MTZ. Michael. X Factor Shirley. Michael X Shirley on Twitter and Instagram. You can find it. And as I mentioned, at Patrick Meany, M E A N E Y, and PatrickMeany.com. Yep. Thanks so much, everybody. And uh, we will see you next week. And as we always say, Excelsior! <laughs> From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, Buzz you later. later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 